today I would like to speak on worship. Worship. I've actually not spoken about this um, topic, but it's been something, again, you know me, that gets laid on my heart. Um, And this was put on my heart a few months ago, and I kept squashing it because I felt not qualified to speak on worship. Um, But there's been a stirring, and so I feel compelled um, that we must speak on worship today. So worship, it's something beautiful, Look at that lovely slide. It's something beautiful. It's something profound. It's something that we know about. It's something that we all do. But sometimes we limit what worship is. We define it in a way that limits it. We say that worship is singing, or we say that worship is tithing, or we say that worship is being out in creation, or worship is how you feel. But today I want us to open ourselves up to think of a little bit more deeply about what worship is is. So we're going to be looking at three main things. What is worship? Why should we worship? And how can we get better at worshiping? Three main things. What is it? Why should we worship? And how can we get better at it? So we're going to read from Psalm 95 verses 1 to 11. And you can either follow along in your Bible or look at the screen as I read. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. If I was like Eleanor, I would break into song right now. Remember that song from old times? I won't do that. <laughs> Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is, a, is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray as they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So let's begin with what worship is. Worship comes from the old English word, worship. And it literally means to give something worth, to demonstratively give something value. Worship brings um, greatness, it brings glory to something that is greater than yourself. It ascribes greatness to something that is greater than yourself. And as seen here in the psalm, worship is this profound act, a heartfelt expression of reverence and adoration towards a higher power, acknowledging its authority and its worth. So worship involves approaching this greatness with a sense of humility and joy, recognizing our own limitations in comparison. By bowing our hearts in worship, we align ourselves with a sense of awe for who God is. And worship is something that we must engage our whole body, our mind, our emotions, our will, our everything. 
So you can go to a, a conference like Increase and you can go to a church service and, and you can go to a large gathering and your emotions can worship because you're in that, um, that atmosphere, right? Or there may be a particular song that we sing that makes your heart leap and, and, you, and you worship it or a crescendo in the song or a rhythm in the song that engages your emotions. But if it's only that... That's not full worship. You could listen to a podcast from your favorite preacher or, um, or read a book written by your favorite author about the theology of God. But if it's only that, that's not full worship. You could be um, out in creation, walking along the beach and, and in awe of the beauty of God and his creation. But if we limit it to that, that in itself is not full worship. Here's the punch. If it doesn't change your life patterns or the way you approach life, it isn't really worship. If you go to church and have your emotions engaged and your mind engaged, but then go out and live the rest of your life a different way and it doesn't change you, if it doesn't reflect change, that isn't really worship. Worship, true, full worship engages the whole body, the mind, the will, the emotions, the everything, every part of your body. You can see in this passage passage that we've just read um, that the emotions are engaged in this passage. The psalmist begins with a call for joyful singing and shouts of praise, immediately setting a tone of exuberance and excitement. But they also engage the mind. In verse 3, it says, because, for he is. In verse 7, for, because. It's because I know, because I've been told, because the prophets have said, because I know. William Temple, the um, Archbishop of Canterbury from 1942 to 1944, said this about worship. Worship is the submission of our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose. And all this gathered up in adoration for the glory of God. When you engage the whole body you realize the worth, the true value of what it is, and it changes the way you live and look at life. Think of it like this. There is a woman, and she's had this family heirloom that's been passed down through the generations. It may be a piece of jewelry or a brooch or something that has just been passed through the generations, and it's now in her possession but it's just one of those things. She actually doesn't like the look of it. She doesn't like, she doesn't wear it. It's not, it's, it means nothing to her. Um, it kind of gets shoved in boxes as she moves from house to house. And um, it's stored somewhere in the house, but she'll only really find it if there's a big cleanup. And oh, there it is again. It's that sort of item. And this woman is not me. <laughs> Sean will love me telling this story because I am not a hoarder at all. Oh, I am cutthroat when it comes to throwing things out. Meanwhile, (laughs) Sean. (laughs) Anyway, this family heirloom doesn't mean much to this woman. 
other than the fact that it's got some sentimental value um, that has been passed down through the generations and it's now in her possession. But one day a friend, upon seeing this brooch, let's call it a brooch, suggests that she should take it to an antiques dealer. Anyone love antiques roadshow? <laughs> Never seen it in my life. <laughs> the appraiser looks at this brooch And he can't believe what he is seeing. He's never seen anything like it in his whole career. It is extremely rare. It is incredibly worth, um, you know, it's of incredible worth. It's highly sought after and it's absolutely valuable. Does this change the way the woman now feels about the brooch? (laughs) How she now wants to find out more and engage her mind in finding out more about the brooch? How she now lives out her life knowing how much she has? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Again, this isn't an entirely accurate analogy, but I hope you see the point here. That knowing and experiencing the value of something changes and should change how you live your life. To worship God... To know his beauty and his worth with absolutely everything you have changes how you live your life. Next point, why should we worship? Why should we worship? Verse 3, it says, For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. See that there? Above all gods. Why should we worship? Because we're already worshipping something. Our whole life is controlled, is oriented towards something already. Towards your work, towards your relationships, towards your kids, towards your finances, towards your material security, towards your success or your achievements. We are already worshipping something. We have all put our hope into something already. You know, we say sometimes, if only I had that, then I would have meaning to my life, or then I would be okay, or then I would have joy. We are all living for something, to attain something, and it can completely control you and how you live out your life. You know, if you are worshiping your work, that will dictate how you live your life. If you are worshiping your kids, that will dictate how you live out your life. So it's not a question about people who worship versus people who do not worship. We all worship something. The question is, are you going to worship something that will distort your life or something that will direct your life? Recognize that your heart has already ascribed greatness to something. Transfer that to God. That's what will change your life. Becky Pippett puts it this way. Whatever controls us is Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. We have to live for something. Your relationship to this thing is worship. And the problem with putting our um, worship or ascribing greatness to material things is that it's fickle. We know that. It's fickle. 
And when something goes wrong with that material thing or that relationship you have with a person here on earth who's broken, that can freak us out. It's only when you see God's love above everything else that you will be happy, that you will be content, that your life will be changed the way you live it out. Because he does not change. He is immutable. That's where our anchor needs to lay. And the third thing is how do we worship well? How do we worship well? Just three sub points, I guess. Um, There's many ways that we can look at this, but just three things um, to think about today is worship needs to be done in community. It needs to be done in community. Again, this passage says, let us come. Let us bow down. He is our God. We are called to worship in community as well as individual worship. I personally love individual worship. I love my solitude time. I love having praise and worship flowing in my house when I have a moment of no kids, which is hardly ever, but you know, I, or driving in the car, you know, and turning it up loud. I love that personal worship. But personal worship is almost in preparation for community worship, for corporate worship. And we need to worship corporately together. Why? Because it is an experiencing worship with others that we gain more perspective as to who God is. C.S. Lewis explained it this way, and he was, um, there were three friends. There was him, there was a guy called Charles, and there was um, a guy called Ronald, who was also J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, and he was explaining this when, he, when Charles died, his friend Charles died. He said that it made him realize that he would not see Ronald's reaction to a Charles joke again. Now that Charles had gone, C.S. Lewis commented that he would now not see Ronald's reaction to a Charles joke. He says, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. See, no one individual can draw out the entirety of a person. And likewise, as C.S. Lewis goes on to say, for every soul, seeing God in her own way doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest of us. Being in community, worshiping together, we will see more facets of who God is in the way that we reflect God to each other. Being in connect groups, being in church, sharing meals with each other, having conversations, spending time with others, we will experience and see God in a much deeper way. So to worship well, we need to be in community. Second thing, to worship well, we need the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to come into the presence, into God's presence through the Holy Spirit. God is everywhere. He's in community. He's in truth. And by the Holy Spirit, we will sense God's reality. Where truth is, the Holy Spirit is moving and we can sense that. When there is a stirring, when someone speaks truth, the Holy Spirit is moving. We can sense that. When we sing songs that declare absolute truths, 
There is a stirring and the Holy Spirit is moving. The Holy Spirit is like a wind, often referenced in the Bible to being a violent or a rushing wind. Therefore, we need to be skillful sailors. We can't generate the wind. We can't force the wind. But we need to be skillful sailors who learn how to navigate with the Holy Spirit. We need to be fully aware of the Holy Spirit in our worship. Not just with our emotions, not just with our mind, not just with our will, but with our whole being. And we need to know what to do. And the third thing to worship well is we need to rest. We need to rest. We need to rest in his goodness and his grace. Rest, as mentioned here again in this passage, is important. It is important when it comes to worshiping well. You know, we can't make worship another thing that we're trying to attain and be excellent in or else worship becomes something that we worship. We need to um, find those rhythms of rest physically that then leads to spiritual rest. We need to rest in the knowledge and the understanding that we don't have to be perfect for God to bless you. He already loves you. He already accepts you. He has already blessed you. We need to rest in that as we worship well. You can come up now, Ash. (laughs) Worship should be and needs to be reflected in all areas of our lives. Not just on a Sunday morning, not just here in this building, not just when we're with our connect groups, not just when we are listening to our favorite songs, not just when we are um, listening to our favorite speaker on a podcast or when we're surrounded by like-minded Christians or out in, in the creation. Worship is a full body response to the acknowledgement of who God is. And worship saves us from being self-centered and makes us God-centered. See, worship doesn't change who God is. God is who he is. He always has been who he is, and he will forever be who he is. Whether we choose to worship him or not, our worship is a response to his greatness. And it changes us. It is a response to his greatness and it changes us. It changes how we live our life. It changes how we view our world. It changes what we decide to engage with and what we decide not to engage with. It shapes us and it molds us to become more Christ-like. And it's all for the glory of God.